grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I was rereading the last chapter of the book of Joshua this last week. I don't have it printed for you, which is probably a good reason for you just to remember your Bibles anyway, but in Joshua 24, there's an interesting covenant that is reestablished. It has to do with families. Joshua gathers the people by the rivers and challenges them. And he goes through and he reminds them of their past. He said, you know, there was a time when everybody worshipped foreign gods, and guess what? He even mentions Abraham. Abraham, who used to worship false gods, he said, but God came in and God rescued you. And he kind of recounts everything that had happened to them all the way through Egypt to the point that they now stand at the Jordan River about ready to walk into this country, this new country. And he tells them, you've got to put away all of your other little g gods. And the people all go, yeah, that will do it. Count us in. What I find interesting is Joshua looks at them and says, I know you people. No, you won't. Oh, yeah, we will. He says, I don't believe it. He finally gets down to where he says himself in Joshua 24, 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers, who they serve beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's our question for the day. Is your family led by you serving the Lord? Nancy and I have been married for 44 years. During that time, God has blessed us with two wonderful children, Eric and Terry, a wonderful daughter-in-law, Cheryl, and an also equally delightful grandson named Joshua. In some respects, you might say we've been fairly successful in building a strong family. At least you might look from the outside and say we've been fairly successful. People have at different times said to Nancy and I, knowing that you were 19 and she was 17 when you got married, how did it happen that things seemed to work out okay? Our response is always, dumb luck and the grace of God. Now, there are certain things that we did over the years that were very consistent. We always went to church, always as a family. We've always prayed before our meals as a family, whether we were at home or out in a restaurant. Christian education was always a very important thing, and as best as we could, even as sinful human beings, tried to model godly behavior. Now, did we make mistakes? As I said in Bible class this morning, you would only need to ask our children, and they would be more than willing to give you a rather lengthy list. I'm almost happy that I'm not having to raise a family anymore, although raising families hardly ever ends, as some of you grandparents know. It's an ongoing struggle. But building a strong family in today's culture is really, really hard. 
In fact, building strong families, I would suggest to you, is getting tougher every day. And if you don't think so, I want, to, I want you to consider these statistics. Children spend less than 30 minutes per week in meaningful conversation with their mothers and less than 15 minutes per week with their fathers. Households headed by unmarried people living together has quadrupled since 1970. According to a recent Gallup poll, 73% of Americans under the age of 45 believe that life spent with the same partner is both unusual and unnecessary. Isn't that interesting? Six out of ten children in America today live in single-parent households. One out of every three marriages in America ends in divorce. <clears throat> the cost of the average divorce in America today is $19,365. In the average divorce, women and children suffer, suffer a 73% decline in their standard of living. The death rate for divorced men, 35 to 60 years of age, is at 130% higher than their happily married counterparts. Makes it sound like I'm going to live a long time yet, Nance. In a Gallup poll, 89% of people currently going through a divorce cited a family history of divorce as a major contributing factor. If that's not enough, in America, every 24 hours, 3,000 children see their parents divorced. 1,629 children are put into adult jail every 24 hours in America. 3,228 children run away from home. 1,512 children drop out of school. Every 24 hours, 7,742 teenagers become sexually active. It may not come as a surprise to many of you that teenagers on the average experience sexual intercourse for the very first time by the age 15. What does that say to you about raising strong families in today's culture? What has happened? Where have our values gone? Do we have any values that we build our lives on, and are we passing those values along to people who need them? You know, today in America, families seem to be falling apart faster than we can put them together. I mean, why are so many marriages and families crumbling? I think it's because they're built on the wrong foundation. Now, I'm not a house builder, but I watched our house being built when we built it six or seven years ago. That foundation is extremely important. That's why this morning we want to take a look at the foundation of being a strong family. What does God's Word have to say about building strong families? Now, to help us get started on your message outline, somewhere on there you probably see... Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, never forget these commandments I'm giving you. Teach these to your children. We need to do that. And I'm going to start with the first commandment, which is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, where it says, you shall have no other gods before me. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Ten Commandments are not just random. I believe that they are in the order 1 through 10 because that's the way God wanted them to be. God intentionally put 
the first one first because it's the most important. You shall have no other little g gods ahead of me. Now, on your outline, you'll see there's a principle here, and I'm going to give you the principle. The principle is this, put God first. I could probably stop there, say amen, take another offering, and go home. But put God first. God demands the top priority, not only in your life, but in your family and in your family's family. Now, what does it mean to have no other gods before me? Now, a lot of you say, well, I thought there was only one God, so how can we have other gods? Well, in the text, you'll notice it says, you shall have no other little g gods. Little g gods. He's not talking about the capital G God. He's talking about little g gods. Now, a little g God is anything that dominates your life, anything that controls your life. I mean, can your career or your job be a little g God? Sure it can. Can another person be your little g God? Sure it can. Can golf be your little g God? Of course it could. I mean, even the good things God has given us, that God has created it for us to enjoy, become our gods when you give them first place in your life, when they move God out of the equation. I asked this morning in Bible class, do we worship any gods at First Lutheran? And they kind of look at me like, it, you know, no, we don't have any idols up here. And I suggested, just wait till we take something out of this room and you will find out what you have been worshiping. Something that you would, you would not count as a god, but you, know, you would probably be tempted to say, I'm not sure that I can worship without that. That is very revealing, friends. See, God says, I deserve first place in your life. Now, you remember the foundation? Put God first. And friends, if your foundation is wrong, I don't care how pretty the building looks. It's going to fall over. Now, we're going to look at this foundation today of putting God first in our life and in our family and understand that every time God gives us a principle, he also gives us a promise. And here's the promise. You can see the promise on your outline in Proverbs 3, verse 6. It says, in, every, in everything you do, if you put God first, here comes the promise. He will direct you and crown your efforts with success. I've spoken at leadership conferences where it was populated by a lot of people in the business world. And I've asked people, would you like to be successful in business? I've never met a single person in business who'd ever say, no, I'd like to be a total failure, go bankrupt. They want to be successful. Guess what? There's a Bible passage that tells you how to do it. I think it's the only Bible passage in the whole Bible that talks about it. you want to be successful. Very simple. Put God first. And it says he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. I think that's one of the greatest promises. Put God first. Now, I said earlier that in America today, the divorce rate is, you know, one out of every three marriages ends in divorce. But I didn't tell you a good side. Harvard University, Harvard University recently did a study, and they found out that marriages where the wedding is in a church service, the divorce rate is one out of 50 marriages. I also didn't tell you that in marriages where 
two Christians marry one another in a Christian ceremony and they continue going to church every week and they read their Bible and they pray, the divorce rate is one out of every 1,105. Now, are those odds better than one out of three? And it makes me wonder why little Lucy Lutheran still drags Peter Pagan off someplace to get married and wouldn't increase her odds by finding a Christian. I got in trouble one time for saying this in church. It's not really trouble, it's the truth. But people took exception to it. I'd talk to young people that are out here today. I don't care how old you are. I would never date a person that I could not pray with. I would not bother wasting my time dating an unbeliever, hoping that somehow I'm doing mission work by it. I mean, start off on the right track. Put God first in your life and in your marriage. When I said that one time in church after church, I was besieged by a number of teenage girls. And they said, did we understand you right? Did you say if you had to do it all over again, you would not date anybody that you couldn't pray with? And I said, yes. And one girl said, wow, that would really thin the herd. <laughs> and I said, that's right, chase off the goats. Well, how do I put God first in my life? Well, I love acrostics, words, and so I'm going to use the word first today, F-I-R-S-T, and I'm going to give you five biblical principles how you can put God first to build not only a strong life, but I believe strong families. And we're going to start with the most difficult one. It's the letter F. Anybody guess what that might be? Finances. Finances. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord by giving him what? The first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflow. Now, God says, you give me back what? The first part, not the leftovers. The first part. He said, I'll take care of the rest. God says that money is the number one test of your priorities. Now, why did God do, say that? It's because we spend most of our lives trying to make it and save it and spend it. Even Martin Luther says the last thing converted in a person is what? <laughs> His wallet. That's the last thing a person is willing to give to God. God says your checkbook also reveals what's really important to you. It's not what you say is important but it is actually how you spend your money. What would you think if I asked all of you to take out your checkbook and pass it, not to another family member, but to somebody sitting around you and let them look through your check register? What would it say to them about your priorities? Or would you just sit there and like this, I'm not doing that. Maybe that says something about where your priorities are. Deuteronomy 14.23 even expands on it. It says, the per it talks about tithing. The purpose of tithing is to teach you put, to put God first in your lives. Now, what's tithing? It's that first 10%. Now, why is tithing so important? Well, God says, if he's not first in your family's finances, your personal finances, he's probably not first in your life. It comes as no surprise to you for me to tell you that we're in difficult economic times today. No doubt about it. We can watch the gas drop from three and a half dollars down into the 280s or 270s, but we are in difficult economic times right now. 
Every last one of us who sits here this morning is affected and afflicted in some way. Now, I want you to understand something. I am not a financial advisor, nor am I running for public office. But if I were, if I were a financial advisor, if I were running for public office, I think I would want to offer you some clear, simple, straightforward advice from God's Word. And I pray every day that one of our candidates would have the guts to stand up and say, folks, we're in a financial mess, and step number one is to put God first in our finances. And friends, some of you that are in a financial mess yourselves, God would say, man up, woman up, put God first in those finances. Whatever you want God to bless, Put him first there. Now let's move on to the letter I, which is interests. If you've got to put God first in your interests. Now what are you interested in? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for God's glory. But you do it with an attitude of gratitude. Now I don't know what it is you like to do. I mean, I like to watch sporting events. I mean, how can I do that to God's glory? Or let's say I want to play golf or I want to play tennis. How do I do that with an attitude of gratitude? Maybe I, I, I you know, when I get my golf clubs out or my tennis racket out, I, I say, Lord, thank you that you've given me arms and legs that actually move and allow me to play this game. And Lord, thank you for the hand-eye coordination that I would not have if it were not for you. Whatever you do, you're sewing curtains, you're cooking food, Doing a little plumbing, Matthew. I don't care what you're doing. Wayne, financial advising. Kevin, selling insurance. Do it to the glory of God. If, that, if that's the kind of stuff that gets you excited, those are your interests, let's make sure that we do it to the glory of God. Enjoy the gifts and the abilities that God's given you. God has wired every last person up here different so that we have different interests and different talents and different abilities. Hey, if, if sitting in front of kids and teaching them about Jesus gets you turned on, do it for the glory of God. Here's the R. Relationships. If you want God first in your life, you want to build a strong family, choose your friends carefully. Somebody sent me an email this morning. It said that only pastors would enjoy this. I should have brought it along. But it, it was called, Lies People in Church Will Tell Their Pastor. And at the end it said, you may want to take a look at the people in front of you this morning. <laughs> you know, choose them carefully. Well, it was kind of a funny thing. I'll share it with you some other time. The point is, choose your friends carefully. Proverbs 27 says, what a man is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Now, why is that? Well, it's because you become like the people you spend the most time with. Let me ask you this. Who do you hang out with most often? If you spend time with people who take God for granted, if you spend time with people who take God lightly, if, you take, if you're hanging out with people who could care less about being in God's Word or praying or having anything to do with church, you're on the road to becoming a casual believer as well. If you spend time with people who take God and His Word seriously, 
you have a higher chance of being a stronger, committed Christian. You've all seen this sign before. If you want to soar with eagles, what? Don't hang around with turkeys. Psalm 1, verse 1 is my confirmation verse. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or who sits in the seat of the scornful, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Guess what? Many of us, myself included, spent too much time hanging around with people. We were walking with them, standing with them, sitting with them. It's no wonder that somebody told me one time, you're just a gangster, that's all you are, that's all you'll ever be. I see a lot of people in prison, guess what? They spend a lot of time walking with the wrong people, talking with the wrong people, and sitting with the wrong people. But you don't have to end up in prison to do the same thing. I mean, I'm, let me ask, the, ask you parents, do you know who your kids' friends are? Do you approve of your kids' friends? Do you know their last names? You know, parents, what type of people are you exposing your children to? I mean, who do you invite to your house? I mean, if you're serious about building strong values with your children, then you ought to be inviting people over to your house who model the kind of behavior you want your kids to have. And I mean, I'll tell you, if you don't model for your children what you want expect in a family, then somebody else will. Television, for example. You want your kids to grow up and have a family that resembles the Simpsons or the family guy or some of the other trash you see on the TV. Proverbs 12, God speaking, a righteous man is careful about his friendships. The truth is, if you really want God first in your life, there are some relationships that are just plain, simple, dead wrong for you. And I say that with a certain degree of sadness because I have seen a lot of very dynamic Christians in my life who've been drawn away from God and his house because of bad choices. The one thing I always think about are people who want to get married, but they're drawn away by another person who does not share their values. And friends, when your values go out the front door, virtues and vitality are not far behind. I can't say it any clearer than this. Choose your friends carefully. That's not just my advice. I mean, my advice means nothing. That's what God says. Be careful who you hang around with. See, it's easier to pull somebody down than it is to lift them up. That's why we need to put God first in our finances and in our interests and in our relationships. Here's another tough one. It's the letter S, and it's schedule. We need to put God first in our schedule. It's in our time. Now, the question is, how do you do that? This is really not rocket science either, but have you ever thought about talking to God about using your time wisely? Now, I'm not talking about time management. Some of you could use a good time management seminar, that's for sure. But have you ever sat down and, and decided to make a to-do list? You ever, how many people here actually make to-do lists? Okay, you write out, but look, okay. Maybe you need to make out your to-do list and then sit down and say to God, God, which one of these things do you want me to do today? After all, it's kind of called a to-day list, to-do list. Now, some of you won't like this, but I'll say it anyway. Some of you are going to have a to-do list that's got 17 things on it to do, and you've only got time for five. Maybe then you should turn to God and ask him to help you make a to-don't list. See, selection is really the name of the game. I think we all have just enough time to do God's will. If you find yourself having more things to do than you have time to do, 
it may mean that some of the things you've chosen to do are not within God's will for you. They might be very good things, but God doesn't really give you more to do. I don't believe that he gives you time to do it. So when you feel frustrated or frazzled or frenzied, it, it may be that you're trying to do more than God wants you to do. Now, again, I, I'm not talking about time management necessarily, but let's just ask, is this what God would want us to do, to, to sit down and make a daily appointment with God? I don't, I don't know how you do it. You know, maybe you just take a little quiet time, sit down, you take your Bible, you read a little bit, you pray, check in with God, and you just say, God, let's review my life. Let's look at my schedule. Let's look at my goals. Let's look at my priorities. What's really important because I don't have time for everything, and I know you really don't expect me to do everything. I've looked at some people's day timers and calendars. I remember my previous church, and, and I'd almost have cardiac arrest looking at what they were trying to do every day, running over here with their kids and running there for this and running here for this. I mean, every day was just clogged and jam-packed with things. Now, what happens is you can get so busy doing stuff that you never really get around to doing what God has called you to do. Last week I handed out a bunch of these. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but did you share those with anyone? And some of you might say, well, I just never got around to it. I kind of ran out of time. Or the time wasn't right. Now, I'm not saying that this is more important than anything else, but maybe sharing God and sharing Jesus or being Jesus to someone else would be. If you're a family, and I don't care how you want to count families. I mean, families come in all shapes and sizes, whether you're married or whether you're even single. You know, when you sit down to eat, and by the way, that's pretty uncommon activity today. Very few families sit down together and eat anymore. But when you do, pray. I mean, it's a visual demonstration that God is first. I mean, the little bit of self-control you, you exhibit while you're saying, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest before you attack the plate is maybe just a small way of saying, you know, God, even when I'm hungry, you're first. So we've got F-I-R-S-T is troubles. Troubles. When you face unexpected problems, trials, pressures when you have a crisis who do you turn to god says <clears throat> over here <laughs> turn to me first turn to me first but it's surprising to me how many professing christians i have heard in my life say something like this well i guess now all we can do is pray i guess now all we can do is pray huh pastor now all we can do is pray it's kind of like, it's hopeless, so what else are we going to do? Yeah, friends, pr prayer ought not to be our last resort. Prayer ought to be our first option in everything. Proverbs 50, verse 15. I remember memorizing, this is a kid in school a long time ago. You know, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. That, that Bible verse tells you a lot of stuff. First of all, the day of trouble, when is that? Well, that's today. <laughs> If you, if you haven't had any trouble yet today, folks, wait. It'll come. And when you got trouble, what are you going to do? Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you. And then, he said, and then you'll honor me. You'll thank me for it. God says, put me first, even in tough times. 
Now, I also know that there are some people who, I had somebody tell me this one time, they said, well, you know, be quite honest, Pastor, I don't pray much anyway, and so I really kind of hate to bother God when I got a problem. And I said, you know, God says, bother me. <laughs> I can handle your problems. I mean, I've heard some people say, well, I don't want to bother God with all my problems. Surely God's got something else to do. That's kind of a warped, diminished view of God, too, isn't it? I mean, God would look at you and say, hey, friend, don't you understand? I'm not the little G God. I'm the big G God. I can not only handle all your problems, Wayne, but I can handle everybody else at First Lutheran simultaneously, not miss a beat. And you're going to feel like you're the most special person in the world. In fact, because I'm the big G God, I can handle everybody's problems in the world simultaneously. That's a pretty neat deal. Don't carry it yourself. F-I-R-S-T. That brings up an interesting point. How could you tell when God is first in your life in those areas? How can you tell? I think the answer is you stop worrying. You stop worrying so much. Like worry is that little flashing light on the dashboard of your life. When I start worrying, what happens? I start trying to crowd the big G God out of the way. It's like, move on the side, God. I can handle this one. I can do your duties today. See, when God is not first in my finances, what do I do? I worry about my money all the time. When, when he's not first in my interest, I worry. Am I doing the right thing? When he's not first in my relationships, I worry. I wonder if this is a person that's good for me or not good for me. When he's not first in my schedule, I worry because I don't have enough time or whatever. When, he, when he's not first in my troubles, I worry because I, I'm trying to figure out how can I solve this issue. But friends, many of you know this. You've learned this out of your relationship with God and Jesus over these years. When you stop and you do a reality check, God, you be number one in this area. You can do it. You're the big G, God. I'm nobody. You handle it. What can you do? You take a big, deep breath, and you relax. Someone told me a story a number of years ago about a man, when he pulled into his driveway in the evening, would get out, sit down his briefcase, and he walked over to a tree in the front yard, and he would put his hands all over that tree. Just put his hands on the tree. He'd walk up to his front door, kiss his wife hello, hug his kids, and go inside. Every night, he would come home and do that and finally his neighbor asked him what's the deal here every night I see you get out of your car put your briefcase down touch this tree are you some sort of environmental nut or what he says no he said every night I come home I bring a lot of stuff that does not belong in my house worries and cares he says, what I do is I symbolically hang those on the tree in my front yard, and I, as I walk to the front door, I say, God, I'm leaving my problems here. If they're still there in the morning, I'll pick them up. <laughs> and he says, and God has never left any of my worries hanging on that tree. Any of you carry stuff in here this morning you shouldn't have? Yeah. We probably all have. 
Do you ever stop and think what it might be like if the last thing you did when you got to church on a Sunday morning, you sat in your car for a few moments, and you said, God, let's just check a few things out here for a moment. Where am I with you in my finances and in my interests and in my relationships and my schedule and in terms of my trouble? Am I, am I going to drag stuff into your house that shouldn't be here? Because I don't want to. Can I leave it outside here with you <laughs> and let you take care of it? I wonder how much stuff would be in your car when you went home. Probably not much. I'll suggest to you, friends, that if you want to build a successful life, a strong family, you've got to have the right foundation. I grew up in the church, actually grew up in the Lutheran church, actually grew up in the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. I went to a Lutheran grade school where you had to memorize a lot of scriptures and memorize a lot of hymn verses. And one of them I always remember was the one that says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. None of us would dare build anything on sinking sand. You've all seen what happens when you do downhill pretty quick Christ is our solid rock no better place to start Christ is the cornerstone of this church he is the cornerstone of every church he is he is what we build and base everything on the f-i-r-s-t you really can't do that until you have a relationship with God through Jesus you can want to build a better family. You can want to build a better marriage. You can want to build a better citizen. You can want to do a lot of things. But the Bible says with him all things are possible, which would probably mean that without him nothing is possible. We need to come to Jesus to understand what that means, you know, that Jesus loves you, that he cares for you, that he wants to be a part and parcel of your entire life. He doesn't want you to hold back you know, your interest or your relationships. He said, bring them to me. Are you weak and heavy burden, cumbered with a load of care? You know that hymn too? You know, bring everything to God in prayer. You know, come to me all you who are weak and heavy burden. I'll give you rest. You know, my yoke is easy. It's a, it's a neat deal. I want to challenge all of us today to do something. Joshua challenged the people a long time ago. He said, you know, you've got to choose. Sooner or later, you've got to fish or cut bait. Choose. Make a commitment. I want to challenge all of us to do the right thing, to the, do the right thing in Jesus, to do the right thing in our own lives in making God first, to make God first in our families, in however we need to do that, and to make God first in our nation. Uh, friends, there's no way to have a truly successful family without having God in first place. I wish I had printed this out for you, but I, I, I wrote it out for myself. And like, I'm going to read a little bit at a time. I'm going to ask you to repeat these words. Can you do that? I'll try not to give you too many words. I think it's time, not this first part, but I just think it's time for us to learn how to say this. Repeat after me. I'm not ashamed to say... I want to build my life on God's values. On values that last. I want to build a strong family with the right foundation. 
I want God to be first in my finances, in my interests, in my relationships, in my schedule, and in all my troubles. And I believe that if I follow that principle, he will keep his promise to bless my life in the areas that I have put him first. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's pray.